So let's, let's dig in a little bit this morning. If you would, um, take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, 2 Timothy. And we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. And we're going to break down Krabby a little bit, and we're going to talk about a couple different elements of it. Um, like I said, it's culturally relevant. We're going to group that together. Culturally relevant and biblically-based youth. We're going to group together biblically-based as well. And I think out of everything, the one thing that everybody in here without a shadow of a doubt can say right off the bat is they agree 100% that it's important for a youth group to be biblically based. Um, if you disagree with that, I'd be really surprised. Um, and I think we'd probably have a pretty interesting conversation about that. Culturally relevant, we're going to talk about, we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, and, uh, and I think there's a pretty good case in scripture for what we're going to talk about. But biblically based is a pretty much a, a straightforward, everybody agrees on thing. And, and in youth ministry, sometimes, unfortunately, that's kind of difficult. Because uh, in, in youth ministry, a lot of times, um, you, you draw students in and you build a group up, but a lot of times it may not be based on the Bible. It may not be based on getting grounded in God's word. And so that's something that from the beginning has been an important part of this. And that's something that as we continue with the Krabby Youth Ministry, as we continue to do what we do, that's, a, uh, that's the foundation that's the, the cornerstone, the capstone. That's what we have to build off of. Otherwise, we're pretty much just going to be any other social group, you know. And then it's going to be, do I go on Sunday night to Krabby or do I go to, um, you know, anything else that's good? Uh, Lifesavers, um, SAD, um, the, the different clubs at school. Why, what makes us different? Well, what makes us different is we're biblically based. And we want our youth to be biblically based. So in 2 Timothy, um, we're going to look at a passage in there. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 14 through 17. If you don't have a Bible this morning, um, feel free to grab one at the end of the rows on the seats. Those are uh, for your use. Um, usually when, when Bill's here, by the way, if you're new, Bill is our, is our uh, teaching pastor, is, is our pastor. And um, he is in Washington, D.C.-ish um, this morning on his way back um, on his motorcycle with his oldest son um, doing, a, doing a trip, uh, kind of a coming-of-age trip, right, Chris? And um, so they're having a great time. So um, Bill's not here this morning. Usually he goes and puts in the effort to give you page numbers. And I'm sorry, I don't have that this morning. You'll have to bear with me. Um, but 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Um, if you have an engagement, an engagement sheet this morning, hold that up for me. It's yellow. Everybody see that? All right, very good. If you didn't get one of those, they're on the round table. And um, that's for, for right now, if you want to, that's for taking notes. That's for writing things down. That's for connecting to engage with what's going on in case just sitting there and listening doesn't do it for you. You can doodle, you can draw. Um, on the front side, you see the, the, the Krabby logo. On the back side, you see that picture? Everybody flip that over and look on the back. You see that picture? Um, we're trying to figure out what, what do we want to put on there. And if there's not a more culturally relevant picture of Jesus than that one. I don't know what is. Now, I don't want to bash on Jesus is my homie or Jesus is my homeboy, um, but when you see Hollywood stars on Dave Letterman and Saturday Night Live rocking their Jesus is my homie t-shirts, you know, they're basically just screaming, Jesus is culturally relevant. He's cool. You know, he's, he's, he, it, 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 sometimes it can, and I'm not saying it does if you wear the t-shirt, but it can take Jesus who is God's son, who is the creator of the universe, who has been there from the beginning, will be there till the end, and it reduces him down to Jesus is my homeboy, which makes him cool. You know, and I think that sometimes that's what we do in order to make Jesus culturally relevant, in order to make the Bible culturally relevant, we kind of boil it down to the very, to the very basics, almost to the point where it's unrecognizable to where you can, you can live your life and do whatever you want, but Jesus is still my homeboy because he's Jesus, you know? And I hope we don't make him that way. I hope we don't take Jesus and turn him into something that he's not. 
Like I said, I'm not bashing on the t-shirt, but I think that's, a, that's a, kind of a pinnacle of, of how we look at Jesus and make him culturally relevant today. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, let's look at verses uh, 14 through 17 together. It says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In order to be biblically based, um, I think this is a foundational scripture that we have to consider, that we have to remember, that we have to dwell on. Because if we get together in, in youth group and we don't have this as our, as our, as our cornerstone, it's really not going to be worth anybody's time. When we're talking about, and when I, when I am encouraging you guys to be crabby, is because biblically based applies to every person in this room. Every person in this room needs to be biblically based. If, I, I hope that most people in this room call themselves Christians. Um, and if you are a Christian, we have a pretty big job to do. We're called to go and make what? Go and make disciples. Very good. Can you go and make a disciple if you're not biblically based? Everybody's like, uh... Well, can you go and make a disciple and, um, and, and not use this? These are rhetorical questions, of course. It's going to be difficult, isn't it? Possible? Yeah. But you know what? We have to have a foundation here. And in order to make disciples, we need to have an understanding of this. Otherwise, we're just going and making cookie-cutter images of ourselves, and that's not what it's about. It's not about filling the seats in here and getting somebody in here so they can sing with us. And it's not about filling the seats in here and getting somebody in here so that they can hear a, a sermon for um, an hour and 45 minutes. Um, that's not what it's about. It's about making disciples, and that's what we're about here at Family Bible Church. In 2 Timothy, it talks about, um, it talks about building on childhood instruction. You know, it talks about, about taking the things, it's such an amazing verse, and, and man, it hits home for me in verse 15, it says, and how from infancy you've known holy scriptures. Man, how many of us have had that privilege? Not everybody, I know that for sure. Um, I have an infant, he's seven months old. Um, man, I, I pray that we do that. I pray that, that, we, that we meet that charge, um, because it, in here it talks about it like it's, like it's a given. You know, it's something that, that, that's a given that from infancy you have the scriptures and that we build on that. Well, unfortunately, in, in youth ministry, in ministry in general, in your ministry to other people as a Christian, we don't always have that basis. So in the Krabby Youth Group, one, one opportunity we get is to, is to take these students in when they reach seventh grade and to build on what's already been taught through parents what's already been taught through Sunday school, what's already been taught through VBS, what's already been taught through BLAST, and all these things. It's a great opportunity. It's so awesome to get a brand new seventh grader in there and to have them just start rattling off scripture. And, and, and they know their stuff, and we just sit back and go, awesome, man, their parents have done the job. Their parents have trained up their child in the way he should go. And then we also get opportunities to get students in there who don't know anything about God's word, who've never been involved in church, who don't know anything about what this book says, and we get to start that foundation, and we get to encourage it, and we get to strengthen it, and we get to watch it grow. And that's a huge blessing as well. But I, but I want to charge you guys as parents, remember that from infancy. Let's start them off soon, 
You know, I, I take that to heart and I want to do that with Brandon. I want Brandon to begin building his biblical knowledge, his basis to understand what God's word is for his life right now. He doesn't understand a whole lot yet. We're trying, but he's going to get there. He's definitely going to get there. That's our prayer. Another thing in there that it says is that it makes you wise for salvation. It says, uh, verse 15, we, we heard it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Man, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? That's it, faith in Jesus Christ. My prayer is that the crabby youth ministry here, everything that we do boils down to faith in Jesus Christ. It boils down to making individuals making students wise for salvation. Same thing with, with everybody else. Everything that you do, the way that you interact, it needs to make people wise about salvation. And, and it's kind of a challenge to us because a lot of the things that we do and a lot of the things that we say we have to watch because it may not be pointing people towards the truth and salvation and who Christ is. Out of everything, we never want to draw away from that. We never want to go in and, and, and imagine, imagine it's, your, it's your job. You go in and you've got people around you that don't know the Lord, people around you that hate church, people around you that hate God, that hate Jesus Christ, and live their lives and, and want absolutely nothing to do with him. And you go in there and, and, and you're angry at your, at your friend who sits across the aisle and you go in there and you start railing on, well, that just drives me nuts, you know, and just talking about your Christian friend and tearing them down. Is that pointing people towards Christ? Or is that pulling them away and saying, you don't want that. That's not what it is. You know, it's a challenge. We have to continually think. We have to continually check ourselves. We have to continually make sure that we're being careful with the words that we say and our actions, whether they draw attention to Christ or detract from Christ. Man, that's such a challenge. It's so hard. But we are always under, we're always under the microscope. They're always looking at us because we're Christ to the world. You're Christ to the world. You need to be biblically based in the things that you do. And we talk about scripture all the time. A, a big part of being biblically based is sharing scripture, learning scripture, understanding scripture. Um, I had a conversation with, um, with Steve this morning playing the banjo, and I introduced him to, uh, to my grandma. She's here this morning, and, and I said, oh, Steve and I go way back. And I'm thinking way back, like, probably, um, I don't know, maybe... Eli's age, maybe a little bit older, um, grade school. I remember uh, I had a friend who went to the Highland Community Church way back when, and Steve taught me my Bible books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You guys know that song? How many of you know the song? Yeah. Oh, not as many as I thought, but we have a few. Um, you know, it, it's cool because he was able to, to, to help me to learn that through, through musical songs, something that I can remember nowadays. And I think that's all part of being thoroughly equipped. Is, is learning the, the books of the Bible life-changing? Most of the time, probably not. But you know what? You're building. You're building on things. And it's cool because when we talk about Scripture, we use this verse a lot actually on our, um, on our reading plans for the summer that we give our students. It's got, um, it's got the, the last part of 2 Timothy chapter 3 there. Verse 16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Man, what an awesome foundation to be teaching from Scripture, to be training, to be equipping, to be instructing. This is what we have to use. And if we don't know this, if we're not biblically based, you know, there's a lot of curriculum out there that I could get my hands on that just does the job for me and presents good concepts, novel concepts, culturally relevant concepts, 
that aren't based in God's word. Um, one of the things that we, um, that we take very seriously um, as, we, as we minister to your students and minister to a lot of students that don't go to this church is, um, is we feel like we have an opportunity to prepare them and to, and to get them ready for the next step in their lives. Oh, Albert's a good example this morning. Um, Albert's getting ready to go off and, and join the army. Um, we've, got, uh, you know, we've got some students that, that, that we've had in here for a long time that come back from college. Um, man, the middle school, high school years are so important. And, and, and from, this, from this text talking about teaching and rebuking and correcting, training in righteousness, our prayer that is that we get to be able to enter into their lives, enter into your ministry to your students, enter into maybe a brand new ministry with students and train them in righteousness, train them and instruct them so that they will be prepared. You know, we try to do our best to make sure that they know that it's not easy once they leave the nest. It's not easy when they walk out that door. When they take that step into, into college, it's a challenge. Every single thing that I've told them, every single thing that Bill has stood up here and told them, everything that those people back in the blast room tell them, every song that they sing, everything is going to come into question as soon as they leave. And that's, that's the culture we live in. We live in a culture that questions everything, which isn't a bad thing. But not only do they question, but they look down upon they make fun of, they ridicule, they think they have the answers together, and they get challenged. So, so we take that very seriously because we have an opportunity to, to train them and to prepare them and to instruct them and to get them diving into God's word and learning God's word so that when they walk onto that campus or they walk into that, um, I don't know, or barracks, I guess, you walk into boot camp, and when people start, you know, they pull out their Bible and people say, that's a, that's a waste. Why do you even do that? You know, there's nothing to that. They can be prepared and have a hope or have a, um, a, a reason for the hope that lies within them. That's, that's our job, but it's also your job. It's your job to be able to do that. How many of you have had a job and never had anybody question what you believe, the decisions that you make, the words that come out of your mouth? If I asked for hands, I don't think we would see a hand. I hope we wouldn't see a hand. Because everywhere that we go, we get questioned as well. And you know what? We can say, well, I believe the Bible because the Bible is God's word. Well, why is the Bible God's word? Well, because it is. Because I believe it. I don't want to hear anything. The Bible is true, and, and that's all there is to it. We can, we can take that approach. That happens. Um, but man, how much better to be trained, to be instructed, to learn and to grow and to know your scripture. There's, there's some people that we are blessed with in this, bi- in this body of believers who know this word inside and out. And they can quote it and they can point to it and they can open it up and they know how to take this book, which is God's holy word, and to be able to apply it to whatever situation comes. It doesn't matter what is going on. There's something in this book that talks about it. And if we don't know it, if we don't read it, if we don't touch it, if we come in here and we hear a couple verses or a couple chapters talked about on a Sunday morning, we think that that's good enough. Well, that's not going to give you the answers. We have to know this book. And that's our prayer is that we can, we can take students and we can get them to engage with this book and engage with God's word and connect it with something more than pages, connect it something more than words, and connect it with the creator of the universe. That's our goal, and that's, that's the challenge that we have. We want to be able to prepare those students for that. And I pray that that's you too. I pray that, uh, that your ministry to other people, your ministry to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your friends, 
to anybody else, your Facebook contacts, whatever, um, I pray that that's your ministry to them, is that you can be able to explain why you have the hope that you have, to be able to make that something that's obvious to them. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. So being biblically based, like I said, is our capstone, it's our cornerstone, it's where we want to be. We're going to move on now to culturally relevant, which culturally, I should just say CR because it's really hard to say culturally relevant every time. It makes me sound weird and feel weird. But being that probably isn't as well accepted as biblically based. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say that with, with our young people, they would probably say, yeah, yeah, I got that. But I'm going to step out on a limb and say that probably our, um, I'm going to walk carefully here, tread softly, our, our older people, our, our seniors, our um, people with more wisdom. Is that a good way to say it? People with more wisdom. I would say that they're probably not quite as concerned about being culturally relevant. They probably hear that word and go, I don't watch MTV. That's not me. You know, um, what I want to do is I want to boil that down a little bit to make it something that, that actually I believe that we're called to be. Um, something that I was thinking about, and, and I didn't know my dad was going to be here this morning, and I'm going to talk about him. So, um, sorry. Um, but, but what I think about is, is uh, you know, w- when you're young, everything is about fitting in. Everything is about looking like everybody else. Everything is about how do I blend in and make sure that I do the things that my friends are doing so that I feel that I'm a part of it. You know, we can, we can kind of look at that as part of cultural relativity. Well, I've discovered in, in my years, which aren't that many, um, that you kind of reach a point in your life where, where you, you kind of take that thought process and you say, hmm, not that important to me anymore. And, and I see that in like clothes are so important to young people to have the, the right styles and to have the right clothes and the right brands and things like that. And, uh, and I see my dad uh, on a Sunday afternoon go upstairs after we get home from church. And he comes downstairs and, you know, Sundays, man, what a great day, a day of rest. He comes downstairs and he's got his slippers on, of course. You know, you've got to wear your slippers. He's got his pajama pants on, which, yeah, those are like the most comfortable things you can put on your legs. And then he's got his button-up shirt tucked into his pajama pants because, because it's, it's comfortable, right? It's a comfortable shirt. Why would I change and put something else on? And he's walking around and he's like, Half business, half leisure, you know? And, and it's such a great thing. And, and, and one day I was sitting there and I looked at that and I go, at what point do you reach this and think, I want to be more comfortable than I want to be stylish? You know, because it comes. It definitely comes. And you know that and you see it and it's, it's a huge part of life. And the funny thing is I'm starting to get there. I'm starting to work out in the yard and wear my grubby clothes and I look like an idiot and I slept on my hair and it's standing on end and I get up on a Saturday morning and I get all sweaty and then I go, oh man, I got to go to Walmart. And I look down and go, is it really that important? You know, why don't, I just, why don't I just go real quick and come back? And it's starting to become less and less of an important thing to me. Um, and I think that's the way it is with cultural relativity and thinking about the culture that's going on around us. Um, being, being culturally relative is related to the things of our culture. Things that are going on around us. Our culture, think about our culture is, is our music, is our art, is our, um, our, our hairstyles, our lifestyles, um, where we spend our time. The things that we do, our culture is everything around us. So when we say culturally relevant, it's what is related to that culture. Taking, taking who we are and relating that back to our culture. It's, it's kind of a different thing. 
um, I was looking this week because it was on my mind and I was thinking about it and I was going back and forth and I struggled real hard with, you know, exactly what exactly is our position and what does the Bible say about it? And I'm looking around and I see all these things that are, that, that are culturally relative. No matter what your age, everything around us is trying to be relevant to our culture. If you go to Walmart or maybe not Walmart, I think it's True Buy where we went last time and you bring home your sacks, you know, True Buy now has, has become the latest and greatest. They have the, the spinning bags now so you don't have to bag your own and on those bags they they're they're grayish colored and you look at the bag and it doesn't say thank you you know like the old bags did it doesn't say grocery bag because you know there's nothing appealing there's nothing attractive about that they have this big the big arrows that come together in a circle and it says um gray is the new green because everything's green our culture is green now, right? We want to save our planet so everything's green. So our laundry bags say, you know, they're, they're cool, they're stylish, they're recycled, they'll decompose when mixed with water and oxygen, which makes me think, what if you carry your, your groceries home in a rainstorm? Are your, are your groceries going to fall all over the floor? Like, it may not be a good thing that it's culturally relative, you know, the, the new trash bags. Another thing is I'm looking up some words in the dictionary this week, and I look at the front of the dictionary, and it says, New World Dictionary. Not only can you have an old dictionary now, you can have a New World Dictionary that's new and improved and it's relative to our culture and it makes sense and the words are what we want to hear, you know? The last thing that I was thinking about this week is a conversation that I had last week about a Bible. We have Bibles that are culturally relative now. They're, they're related to our culture. We don't like differences between people anymore. We're equality, right? That's what we're about. Men and women are equal in the workforce and in every place in life. So we had a group get together and say, you know what, let's make sure that the Bible doesn't exclude anybody. You know, let's make sure that if it says, um, the, the verse that I always think about is Micah 6, 8, he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with the Lord. So women, are you offended by that? He has shown thee, O man. So now you can have a Bible that says, he has shown thee, O people, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. Is it offensive? Maybe to some people. Is it destroying God's word? Maybe to some people. I can't answer that. But it's relative and it's new and it makes people comfortable. It's all around us. It's all around us. When we teach biblical bases, uh, basics, when we root people in God's word, when you guys are reading your Bibles and hopefully being rooted in God's word, when we share that with other people, how do we, you know, what do we use? What kind of basis do we use? Hopefully, like everything else, we look at Christ as the ultimate example. You know, Christ, what was his mission but to teach and to train and to instruct and to let people know who he was and what he brings to earth. So we're going to look at Christ's example this morning, and we're going to dig a little bit into that and look at, is Jesus culturally relative? Is he related to culture? Does he relate his message to the culture he's in? Turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 5. The, the thing that I, that I see with Christ and the thing that this scripture and almost every scripture that deals with Christ teaches us, and I think we can all agree on this, is Christ taught, um, he, Christ taught in a way that met people where they were. The passage we're going to look at is Luke chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. And I want you, as we read this, to just think about the words that Christ is saying and the way that he interacts with the people around him and come on to your own conclusion on whether or not he is related to his culture that he's in. All right, verse 1 says this. One day, as Jesus was standing on the lake of Gennesaret, 
with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Remember, Simon soon to be Peter. And asked him to put out a little, a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a great number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Wow. I think I say this almost every time I speak, but this is one of my favorite passages. Um, I love this passage. You know, what a, what a crazy picture. Christ here, he's assembling his team. He's assembling his, his core, his inner core, um, for the most part, his inner core, a couple of them. Um, and he's, he's going out and, he's, and he's, he's gathering these guys to walk with him, to talk with him, to be around him, to surround himself, to enter ministry with him. He's, he's at this point, he's out on this boat and he's teaching to the masses. He can't go anywhere now. He is, he's the thing. He's Jesus. Everybody wants to know Jesus. At this stage in Jesus' life, he was, he was the top dog in a lot of ways. I mean, he was almost like the, the celebrity of this time. Everywhere he'd go, the people would just press in him around him, and, and it would keep him from being able to do what he needed to do. You know, so picture Jesus at, at the lake, and there's people everywhere in these multitudes, and everybody wants to hear, everybody wants to see, everybody wants to, to see the things that he's doing, the healing and all these things, and he can't, he can't go anywhere. So he jumps on the boat, and he says, please take me out a little ways. And he goes out and he teaches. And he's teaching the people from there where, the, where his voice carries across the water so that more people can hear him. You know, they didn't have microphones or, or you know, anything like that. So he, just, he used what he had to be able to teach these people. And I believe from this passage that we can see that, that Christ, when he went to these, these, these soon-to-be disciples, he didn't go to them and give them something to do and call them to a life that they didn't understand and had nothing, nothing that they knew about. I, I believe that Christ took this and he, and he made it something that they could understand and they could grasp, they could understand and they could buy into. The first thing that I, that I see Jesus doing here is in verse three, look at that with me. It says, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. The first thing that, that, that I see Jesus doing here is he went to Peter. He went to Peter. Peter's on the shore washing his nets, had a crummy day. He didn't catch anything. He's probably not in a great mood. All these people are everywhere and he's mad because this is his living and he hasn't had any luck all day and Jesus comes to him and Jesus gets up on his boat and he says, Peter, would you take me out? You know, take me out on the water a little bit. Jesus went to Peter. And that's the thing that I thought about so much this week is so much of, of, of our discipleship, so much of our witnessing to other people, so much of our reaching out and evangelizing or soul winning, whatever word you want to use, consists of, hey, you want to come to church with me? It's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. I love Family Bible Church. I love being here. I love seeing new faces come in here. But there are so many people out there that won't grace the doors of this church no matter what you do, no matter what you say. 
And I believe that instead of Jesus going to Peter or sending him a note or a text message or something saying, hey, come to church with me, Jesus went and he met him where he was. Peter was a fisherman. And Jesus went to the boat. And I believe that that's something that we can do is we can go out of our way to go to people and not to sit here and wait for them to come to us and not sit around and wait for people to come to us and say, hey, can you tell me about Jesus? I really want to know about this guy. Man, what a blessing. That'd be amazing. I would love that. That makes everything a lot easier. But I don't think that that's the best way that we need to be doing this. Jesus goes there and he, he, and he steps onto his boat and he says, Peter, can you do this for me? Can you do me a favor? He engaged and got into a relationship with Peter. Um, probably not the first time he had talked to Peter here, a continuation, but still he went there. And I think that's an important step. In our youth ministry as well, it's so easy for me to sit back and wait for, this, for students to come to us. Um, but how much greater for us to go to them and to show that we care, that we care about their souls. We care about their relationship with Jesus Christ. And we want to go to them and meet them where they're at. The second thing that I see in verse four is, uh, it reads this. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. They're fishing. They're fishing. That's, I mean, there's nothing spectacular about it. He's on a fishing boat, right? He's gonna fish. Well, what I think is cool is Jesus is on, on the boat and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's, he's sharing with these people. And at some point, he stops doing that. And, and there's not any more stated there. And I don't want to start telling you I know what happened behind the scenes. I don't know. Uh, but at some point, this huge crowd that was just wanting every single thing out of his mouth and wanting to hear and waiting to be touched and be healed, at some point, Jesus stopped talking to them. And in my, in my head, I don't see a mass exit. I don't see people walking away saying, all right, cool, thanks, Jesus, good words. We'll see you next week. You know, I don't think that's what happened. I think they were probably still there and Jesus turned around and he said, all right, Peter, let's fish. Throw your nets down. Now, Jesus has this, this plan in mind. He knows what's going on. He knows what's about to happen. He knows how he's calling these guys to be his disciples. But the way that he does it is, hey, Peter, let's do what you do. I think this is an important thing because not only does he go to Peter, he doesn't go to Peter and say, hey, Peter, come here, let's go do what I want to do. He says, Peter, let's, let's fish. I don't see Jesus as the kind of guy who, who got up on the hole of the boat, which I don't know what a hole is, but it's on a boat, and gets up on a hole and puts a pillow under his seat and crosses his arms Jesus style, you know, the way we think Jesus was, and says, cast your net on the other side. I see, you know, Jesus was a man. He was a worker. He was a carpenter. I bet Jesus was out there. If I was on a boat, even if I'd never fished before, I'd want to be right there, you know, throwing the nets and pulling them in and things like that. That's exciting to me. I think Jesus was probably right there with him. And that, I think, is an important point because in Jesus' ministry, and hopefully in our ministry too, when we're ministering to someone, when we're sharing with someone, that we go to them, and I think that we need to do something with them. Do something that they do. Join them in what they do, because otherwise, it's, it's going to turn into us going there and saying, hey, let me change you. I enjoy doing this. I enjoy doing this. Come here. Come join me. I don't know that that's the most effective way. Now, if we read all, all of Scripture and see the way that Jesus interacted with people, you know, I think there were times where he, he told people exactly what they needed to hear, and he said, hey, come on. You know, the guy comes, and, and he's talking to him, and he says, hey, let the, let the dead bury their own dead. You don't have time to go bury your family member. You've got to come with me. And Jesus always knew exactly what the people needed to hear at the time. 
And I wish I had that, but I sure don't. But I take this pretty seriously. Jesus took the time to go and to, to work with Peter and to be a part of what Peter was doing. The third thing there is all the way down in verse 10. It says, um, verse 10. Verse, uh, yeah, the last part of 10. Um, it starts out, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. They were, they were astonished. The last part says, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Kind of a, a weird saying, isn't something that's probably never been said before. Come with me and I will let you catch men, or as, as we know it a little bit, a little bit more um, traditionally, um, and I will make you fishers of men. Um, the same passage, different places, says fishers of men. What I find so amazing about this is, um, at the time when you think about who was religious, who, was, who were the ones that were revered and, and regarded as holy and religious, those were the guys with, you know, with the robes and the guys at the temples and the guys that were sacrificing and, and the guys who were keeping the law, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws, you know, the Jews. And Jesus didn't go to Peter and get on his boat and start fishing with him and, 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 and working on that relationship with him. He didn't say, Peter, I've brought you a robe and I've brought you a, an incense swinging thing and uh, you're going to be the rock of my church. Hit it. You know, what do you think Peter would have said? I think Peter would probably have responded in a very not positive way to that. I don't think Peter had any purpose, or in, any, in his head had any purpose for any of that stuff. I don't think he was interested in that stuff. And I don't think Jesus would have called him to that either because Jesus very, very um, specifically said that that's, those people weren't living the way that they needed to be living. They weren't the pinnacle that everybody thought they were. I think even if, even if Jesus would have come to Peter and said, uh, Peter, I want you to follow me because you're going to preach and you're going to write letters, and you're going to change the world. I don't even know if Peter would have responded to that. I don't know if Peter would have been interested in preaching. I don't think Peter was probably anything like a preacher in the beginning. But what Jesus did was he took the message, the same message that he shared with everyone, and he took it, and he made it something that Peter understood. Peter and the boys, Peter and, and his brother, and James and John, these gruff, rough fishermen, could hear that and say, fishers of men? I get that. I see what you're talking about. Yeah, fishers of men, where we go out and, 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 we, and, we, and we cast our nets and we draw in men for you. I get that. That's cool. I can do that. And what's their response? This is, this is the most important part. What is their response to Jesus? They drop everything and they follow him. Man, how cool is that? I can't even imagine. I, I still haven't dropped everything. I'm still trying to kick some things off that I haven't let go of. But they dropped everything. Jesus did something right. He was the son of God. Of course he did it right. And I think we have a great example here of ministering, of joining with someone, of entering into their life, as we say here a lot of times, doing life together. We say that about, about people that we're, that we're in relationship with, but also with people that don't know the Lord, to enter into life with them which sometimes we feel is taboo. And we enter into life and we draw them towards Christ with what we do, with what we say, with our friendship. <clears throat> if we look at, at a lot of other examples, we could go on for days and look at Christ's examples. Um, but Christ, uh, 
the thing about it is Christ took the words and he made them something that the people understood. He never changed his message, but he changed the way that he presented his message. Think about a few things with me. Uh, Matthew 13 talks about the parable of the sower where he's casting the seeds. You know, he's talking to farmers. That's something that they do every day. They plant, they grow, they get choked out by weeds. It's something they could grasp hold of. In Matthew chapter 18, he talks about the parable of the lost sheep. He talks about shepherding. You know, he talks about taking care of sheep, things that people do all the time. He talks about wineskins. He talks about wine presses. He talks about fig trees. He talks about mustard seeds. He talks about pruning. Things that the people that he spoke to made sense to him. And, and what I share with you guys is, I think, that we're, I think that we're called to do that as well. Because, you know, we don't just go to, let, let's say I sit down in, in a middle school group and I say, um, and I start talking about a wineskin and start explaining, you know, what Jesus talked about with a wineskin and patching a wineskin. And they're sitting there going, yeah, I see that. Yeah, yeah, no, we don't even know what a wineskin is. You know, we don't have anything to do with wineskins anymore, most of us. So it's our job to be able to take the messages of Christ and to be able to, to, to teach them in a way that's understandable, in a way that people can connect with, in a way that people can, just like Peter and the boys, can go, yeah, I get that, and I love that. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I want. We could, we could leave it at that this morning, and we could say being culturally relevant, being related to our culture, is, is how we need to present Christ. We can leave it at that. And I hope that you can see that, and I hope you can understand um, what I'm talking about. But instead, I want to end, I want to close everything up this morning with, um, with a caution. Because I think what we can do is we can take this concept, and I think what we do is take this concept and we turn it into something that it's not, something that it's not supposed to be. Um, kind of the, the phrase that I was thinking about was, um, we'd never change Jesus, we should never in any way, shape, or form change, take away, or add to who Jesus was and what he was about. But what we can do is change the way that we fish. He called, he called the disciples to be fishers of men, and I believe that still stands today. I believe that we are fishers of men. We are, we are trying to gather the fish, gather the men, and bring them towards him. That's the purpose of why we're here. That's what we're doing, bringing him glory and trying to bring everyone around us with us on this awesome journey. But what we can do is we can change the way that we fish. If you're a fisherman, you'll understand. Um, I'm, I'm not a fisherman. I can't say I'm a fisherman because I don't fish very regularly, but I, I have in the past. And, and my dad used to have um, a little tackle box and then that wasn't enough. So then he got the bigger tackle box. So that was enough. And we ended up with the tackle case. You know, you guys might have a tackle case and it's got pull-out drawers and a, and a lid and everything like that. And he had everything in this tackle box but the kitchen sink. And I kid you because he did have a kitchen sink in there. Um, we, f we had a kitchen sink lure, do you remember? And so when we went fishing, we'd go out there and we'd, we'd, take, the, um, you know, we'd take the hook and the bait and throw it out there with the cork and wait and the fish wouldn't bite. So we'd come back in and we were kids, you know, impatient. So we'd take that off and we'd be like, we need a lure. So we'd put a crappie jig on and throw that out. Reel it back in, they wouldn't bite. Well, there must be something wrong with the bait. So we'd change it and we'd go to a, to a spinner. We'd cast a spinner out there and reel it in and those stupid little fish still wouldn't bite. Then we go through the tackle box and we're fishing in a little pond, what about a quarter acre pond? And, uh, and, and we go and we get these monster jigs out of there for like ocean fishing and we'd be casting those in there and the, the fish would look at it and go, are you kidding me? You know, that's, that's ridiculous. So then eventually we get to the point where we'd put the kitchen sink on, 
the person who made that had no intentions of that ever being used as a lure, but I know that kitchen sink used to have moss and stuff all over it because we'd, we'd throw it in. And we'd try to throw the kitchen sink at them and see if they would bite it. And those fish would look at it and go, nice try, not interested. You know, we'd change and we'd change and we'd change. And if you're a good fisherman, you know that the bait that you use and the lures that you use are going to change. You know, I learned this from, um, from, from my grandpa that, that if you're fishing and you've got a yellow lure, a, a yellow crappie jig on there and you cast it and you cast it and you're just catching a mess of fish and they're biting and they're biting and you're biting. The next day you go back, you don't use yellow, you go to orange or you go to pink or you go to blue. And that's the way that he taught me because it, it's different all, every time that you go. If you go fishing in fall, you're going to use something different than you might use another time of the year in spring. And it's different and it changes. And if you're a good fisherman, you know what you need to use to get those fish. And that's the way that I see our, our ministry with Krabby and, and our ministry as people drawing people to God is we have to, we have to change up what we're doing. You know, if we go to them and try to pull them in and say, well, this is the way that it's always been done, therefore do it, we have a problem. If we go to them and we, and we, and we try to, to make them something that they're not, we have a problem because most people don't want to change. But if we can change the way that we present that and say, this is Jesus Christ who has always been and is and will ever be and there's nothing about him that changes, here's how I can present him to you to make you go, oh, I've never heard it that way. Got it. Yeah, that's what I want. I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's a great thing. And wow, to have that skill, to be able to know what they need to hear and how to, how to change the message of the gospel to, to meet them where they're at, it's awesome. And it's, uh, and I pray that that's something that, that I can do in the position that I'm in. And I pray that that's something that, that you can do in the position that you're in because we're all in different positions. We're all at different places in our life. We're at different places in our spiritual walk. But we're all hopefully on the same journey together of drawing people to Christ and, and letting ourselves be drawn to him as well as we become more and more rooted in scripture and I pray more and more relevant to the people around us so that we don't put fences up and we don't put regulations up and we don't say you have to do this, you gotta clean this part of your life up. You gotta fix this and then you'll be loved. Man, a little backwards. And I hope I don't ever do that because that's not the way it's supposed to be. Christ went and he met where they were and he drew them to himself. And one of my favorite stories, the woman at the well was a great example of that. He sat down and he talked to her and he shared with her and he was open with her and he changed her life. We use the phrase, we're to be in the world but not of the world in the world, but not of the world. There's so many passages of scripture that make it so clear. It's a black and white issue. We are not to be of the world. We are not to love the world. We are not to be, we are not to be the world. We're to be separate. We're to be different. And that's, that's the challenge, guys. How do you go into the world, into your job, into your relationships, in with your friends, and be with them, but not be of them? There's a lot of warnings in scripture Bad company corrupts good people, you know, about friends pulling down, you know, pulling down people. The enemy has a lot of power. So my challenge, my warning to all of us is in being culturally irrelevant and in, in meeting people where they're at beyond all things, we don't compromise. We don't compromise what's in this word right here. 
We don't compromise. We don't conform. But we want to meet people where they're at and love them where they're at. That's what I pray Krabby's all about. And I hope that you can understand that and I hope you can connect with us on that and, and, and be in agreement that that's important. And I hope that you can join with us in that. A lot of you have already and I love that and, and we need that and we encourage that. Um, but I encourage you guys as well, at the same time, I want you to be crabby. And some of you might think, well, culturally relevant and biblically based, yeah, but youth, I'm not youth. You can be a crab. I decided that last night. You're allowed to be a crab. And you can call yourself a crabby if you want to and kind of hold on to that inner youth. That's okay too. But I encourage you guys, everything that we do, let's be, let's be crabby together. Let's go into the world. Let's reach people. Let's be fishers of men as we're called to do in a way that makes sense to them while retaining the truth, the absolute truth, the inerrancy of this book right here. Let's pray together. Father, um, I, I pray uh, so much that that the words that you speak would impact each of us, man, so close to our heart, Father. It's so good to be able to read about you and to read about how you did it, how you brought people to you, how you created this amazing ministry, which was really just a lifestyle of traveling, of talking, of meeting, of encouraging, on disciplining, on instructing, on calling out sin. Um, Father, you... uh, amazing, such an amazing thing, and we thank you for those words. Lord, I pray that we would take the things um, that have been shared through scripture this morning to heart, that that your word, that that the verses that we looked at would just stay with us, and that above all things, we would be like you. We call ourselves Christians, and I pray that we live that out, and we don't have a Christian, a Christian day, and then the rest of the week have non-Christian days. I pray that we wouldn't, oh, Father, I pray that we wouldn't have non-Christian moments, though I know that they come, and I know I fail all the time at that. Father, I pray that we would glorify you with everything that we do, and that we would be fishers of men, that that would be our goal, that would be our purpose in reaching others for you. And we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.